Welcome at the Coalface. I'm Philippe Rose. This is a conversation among friends working in international affairs. We share stories about our life in the real world and beyond the noisy headlines. And we hope a few interesting insights come out. Today, I speak with Nawaz Wahla. Nawaz shares his remarkable story growing up in rural Pakistan, raised by his father with modest means, but with a strong belief in the paramount importance of education, a principle that guided Nawaz's life through extraordinary hardships. By planting educational seeds well before knowing what to do when they would sprout, Nawaz was able to bounce back after bullets put an end to his military career. He went on to a successful life in law, but the itch to pursue the world's best education still animates him to this day. Well, good evening. Hi, Nawaz. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Really great to really great to see you. Likewise, likewise. Y- your story re- resonates on. on um, on, dif- on, on different levels, I would say. Th- there's one which, of course, is, a, is an echo of, of the American dream of, a, of an immigrant from a, from a modest background uh, coming to the US and making an impact in the community. But I think what I would have loved to, to discuss and explore with you uh, today is also uh, the reality of that story, because it's a, it's a story that, that's involved a huge hardship. And I, I think out of that hardship, there are a lot of life lessons that I think would be hugely valuable to all, all GMappers. So I think that was a little bit why Christian and I thought uh, it, it would be it would be great to reach out to hear that kind of full story, if you like, with the tough bits as well, to, to really do justice to the yeah to to the, the the hardship that you you went through. I think the to be honest with you, uh, the life hardship. The lessons you learn through those difficulties, through those hardships, your background shapes your perspective to life. Uh, whether you know you are here or anywhere else, uh, but the American story, the American dream, so to speak, makes it uh, much more attractive. Uh, in a way that, you know, you can get here from a very, very modest background. And you have that opportunity uh, to be something. But that definitely is behind that passion, behind that to be something needs a lot of hard work. Yes, yes. Lots of hard work, believe it or not. What I would love to 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 do is to to go back to your time uh growing up in, in Punjab, uh in in a in a in a village which was um had very limited infrastructure. Uh and you 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 you've spoken a lot about the um the inspiration uh from your from your father uh towards uh, really encouraging you and doing everything that he could uh, to 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 uh, uh, provide you with a, with a, a high quality education. I, I would love to um, I would love to to discover with you 
how is it like um, growing up in in Punjab at this time? Um, what was your reality? What was your day to day? And what were you what were you speaking when you were sharing uh, bread at home? Uh, well, going back going back to almost sixty five years, seventy five years is. Uh, is is a wonderful uh, you know daydreaming kind of a kind of a thing <laughs> uh, but i had a wonderful childhood you know growing up in a farm uh, obviously we had very very limited means but i have nothing to compare with that's what <laughs> i knew at that time we were four sisters and four brothers uh, wow. our mother unfortunately passed early on yeah. and our father uh, who could? For, he migrated at the time of partition from uh, India towards Pakistan, and who didn't have the the ability to go to school himself. So yeah, he yeah. instilled in us, in all of us, school, school, and school. Yeah, and. I happen to be very fortunate, very, very lucky. Out of all those eight to first finish high school, then go to college, and then going from there to one of the prestigious institutes uh, of Pakistan, Pakistan Military Academy back then. So uh, my 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 callings of my childhood yeah. uh, with my with my friends from my village uh, who uh, all of us we would walk to the school uh, elementary middle even high school uh, pakistan was brand new at that time yeah. when when we were growing up there was a huge amount of investment from teachers there was a very, very meager resources, but there was an endless passion and desire to part knowledge. So we were yeah, very yeah. fortunate to have very vested teachers who were very encouraging. My fa- father wanted me to become a police officer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you, believe it or not, he was a head uh, you know, headmaster, not the master, but of the small little village. He didn't have a formal education, but he was very connected with people. And he had a dream, two things, his dream for me, either become a teacher in a school or become a police officer. (laughs) And And, and I, I... He he was uh, of course. He, I'm sure he was instilling this uh, with, with not just you, but with your siblings course, as well. Of course, yeah. but uh, like I said, I was very far. He he wanted to all of us to do well, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, again, your destiny, uh, Philip, your own passion, your own destiny. Uh, I am of now reflecting on my childhood. We were eight. I have my own three children. Yeah. Their passion, each one of them, my wife and myself, we give the best possible growing up for them, but they are very different. <laughs> As I was yeah. very different from my siblings. 
So yeah, and I can relate with you just now only that uh, I'm a new father. My, my my son is like almost two years old, oh, and I realize wonderful. yes, there's only so much that uh, that I can give because he's he is already showing huge determination and personality, even though he's so tiny already. Oh, you see, congratulations, wonderful. Thank you, <laughs> wonderful. So so each one of us, even though we grew up with the same you know, environment, in a same household, same parents, we all has a different gift and a different talent and different drive. And maybe share a little bit what it drew you not to being a policeman, but drew you towards a, a, a military uh, career initially. Uh, you know, I actually, I did follow my father's advice. I went, yeah. I went for the interview physical examination and the interview for to become a police officer because it was kind <laughs> of prestigious. My yes, father yes. went with me to for the interview. Obviously, he couldn't go inside for it, the physical interview. So he went with me. He was outside. And the superintendent of police and the board, which were taking the interview, they asked me, young man, what do you do? Where are you coming from? why you want to become a police officer. And I, I told them I'm a third-year student at the university. Uh, my father's dream is for me to become a police <laughs> officer. And he's sitting outside. <laughs> and honestly, Philippe, this is the God-honest truth. Uh, he said, can you call your father in? And I said, yeah, sure. I called my father in, and he told him, sir, your son has a way more potential to become something big. Please don't take it wrong way that we are not rejecting him, but we want to see him somewhere else. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's how I, I was turned down by becoming a police officer. And then oh, I, went, wow. I went back to the academy and we were in fourth years of at the uh, university and it was that after 1971 war between India and Pakistan there was a interviewing teams coming to various institution to recruit for the military officers yeah three of us roommates we all went there one of them is a member parliament of pakistan obviously he was not selected the other one is a phd my roommate in Germany and a professor. So I was the only one who got selected for commission. And they said, nah, army is for people who are duffers. They don't know anything. So just you do. do. <laughs> so that, that's how. But I think the army was it was a calling, Philippe. Right. It was, for me, it was a serving a bigger cause. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, the, yeah. Because when you are prepared to serve, at any, are you willing to give the ultimate, your life for your country? Yeah, there's no, yeah. there's no match to that. Obviously, yeah. you don't realize when you are 21 year old, but I reflect on that now, that yeah. it it changed my 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 career. You were already animated by st a strong desire to serve. It sounds like I think the the, the service in a, in a in a way because. There was only one army officer in the entire 15 villages when I was growing up. 
and I was a yeah. very young guy when he came back to the, the, the I think there was a parade you know there was a, a huge amount of ceremony for him and I went to see him he was a major uh, I went to see him and I got started thinking you know why would somebody be doing what they did leaving aside the prestige yeah. you know uh, but service was a calling and I, my, my father, not knowing directly or indirectly, kind of instilled that in me. Share a little bit, please. So how, how are these, uh, the, the, these first steps in the military world? How was it like? Because it, it must have been, I mean, um, in terms of learning discipline, in terms of uh, harmonizing and homogenizing people, there must have been quite, quite a, uh, I would say, a transforming process. H- how did that uh, happen in you? So you are a student uh, at a university. Your life is very laid back, and all of a sudden you are picked up. And yeah. army all over the world is very disciplined institution. Yeah. And Pakistan army back then, uh, still to a larger degree, is very British oriented because mm, it was yeah. a British colony, India and Pakistan. So it was a very different from the university going to the Pakistan Military Academy, which was administered and run by a four-star British journal after Pakistan became Pakistan for a number of years. So the discipline was inexpressible that all of a sudden from a student life where you have no you know earthly idea and you are going to be put into a, a you know into a system uh, there's a physical part and then there is an educational part but in the initial couple of months we were 304 cadets when we joined in mm-hmm. october 1972, we graduated 153 only on November 26, 1974. It's a two-year training period. So uh, you learn, they make you a cadet is the first thing that you are a gentleman. GC is a title for you. You are a GC, gentleman cadet. So they they make you from a student as a gentleman by a rigorous training and people keep getting weeded on a monthly basis. Mm, You know, you have to complete a mile in under four or five minutes, run a mile, then there are other physical exercises and other physical exercises. So you get up in the morning at 4.35 and there's a sergeant who gives you a drill training, then the physical training, and then you come back, you take a quick shower and you uh, change into uniform and you attend classes from, you do the breakfast as a group on a table. You are told how to eat, how to use a fork, how to use a knife, which side to sit, when to speak, when not to speak, 
So it's a very intensive yeah, time yeah. pressure training. Uh, yeah. I lost about maybe 60, 70 pound weight, to be honest with you, while going up. Oh, good Lord. Uh, going, uh, when I started, when I came out, and my father uh, was very, very, very worried that I might not even survive. Wow. Uh, so it was a very rigorous training, uh, but it was a turning point that you come from where and where are you standing. They instill in you that you are a gentleman first. And yes. If you are a gentleman, then... You, Everything will sit in a place. It's interesting, yeah. And, and, and so, so that that must have been a really uh, life transforming oh um, in terms of discipline. In terms of, I mean, you mentioned learn how to use a knife and fork. I believe because you grew up using your hands to eat, so this was a new. I mean, new... in your in your village, you know, where you grew up. Of course, when I went to the university, we had all the dining, you know, etiquettes yeah, yeah. uh, and all that. But they are trying to teach you British etiquettes. Yeah, <laughs> this is very incongruous. Yeah, in a way. Exactly. So, but that's how the aristocracy works. They're, yes. trying to, they're trying to put you in a class, which is very different than an ordinary people. Obviously, you survived this this grueling uh, <laughs> period. And some... <laughs> after after surviving that, graduating that, I served, served almost eighteen years. Wow. I mean, and, and 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 it was also a time when there was actual combat. This was not not just a theoretical exercise. Yeah, I mean, I I I joined the army right after the combat, and then I served yeah. for eighteen years. And then during that eighteen years, to last my last service, I was wounded in in mm. a non-combat situation. But that changed, uh, uh, Philippe. That also changed my turning. Yeah. It was a turning point in my life. I was very young. I was 18 years of service. I was very young major. Uh, I was wounded. I, a bullet came here and went through yeah. my arm. In your arm. And then another yeah. bullet, half a centimeter shot of my heart. Wow. Uh, three small children. Our baby, who's a surgeon, uh, she just, I mean, um, last October, she was... Uh, she became full-fledged surgeon. Oh, congrats. She was a few, few months old. Because this, this, this part of your story, I find really fascinating. So you, you were, even though you were uh, uh, commissioned as an officer in the, in the military in Pakistan, yeah. you still wanted to uh, add to your uh, skill set and, and you pursued a, a legal uh, education while working, actually. Like, could you share a little bit what prompted you to do that? And because that, that doesn't sound uh, easy at all uh, to, to, to do a legal education in, in the evenings. Back then, the army they would have uh, they would they, the last schools were trying to recruit people, you know, from different defense forces, from different institutions. There was mm -hmm. invitation, so to speak, and I told my colonel that there. Uh, there is an invitation to go to last school. I'm going to circulate if you... I just wanted his blessing, you know, to circulate yeah. to all the unit officers if somebody wants to attend. And nobody... He said, why would we need that? Like you just said, why wouldn't we need to go to last school? We are an army officer, damn it. And, um, <laughs> and I said, 
yeah, why not? So after a couple of days, I went back to him. I said, sir, if you don't mind, should I try? And he said, be my guest. <laughs> I would say there was something in the air for me at the time. Something was <laughs> telling me that it's going to become rest of your life at some stage. Yeah, yeah. there's an intuition. Or <laughs> exactly. It's going to save you. Fast forward, I am a sitting judge in, <laughs> in the state of Connecticut. So now, comes 20, 2016, and exactly the same thing happens, which happened to that colonel. I go to my presiding judge. I said, there is a program here. Actually, my children, you know, I, I try have to convince them that the tuition is about 90K uh, for this program. Yeah. And my all, all my three of children, God, thank God for the very highly educated Ivy Leaguers, two of them. And my oldest daughter, two of them are attorney, their spouses are attorney, and the youngest one, um, a surgeon. They make me sit on a, on a dining table and they say, convince us why do you need to go to school at this age and not only that my oldest daughter would say dad you are wasting my inheritance <laughs> okay but this was a rhetorical uh, point i'm course, sure of course of course uh, and these, these are kids you know who would say, and and honestly uh, i went to, to my presiding judge he said are you insane so how did you convince them? How did you convince your family? And how did you convince my wife? Them? Is, my <laughs> wife was very opposed to this. Uh, <laughs> this. <laughs> honestly, because it was it was not an easy thing to do. And she was opposed probably because she saw you being absorbed by your studies while being a young father at the time as well. Judging is a lot of yeah. work. I mean, mm, you know, yeah. it's 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 a it's a work of huge huge responsibility, but somehow. You know, it, it took me about a year to convince all of them. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, they, they so, okay. My, my wife said, honey, you have, you have achieved, you, we've been together. We've been married for almost 45 years. And uh, she said, we have been together so much, so many difficulties. And we got this. You are now here and you still want to go to school. And I tell you this, uh, Philippe, honestly, just for the record. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, and uh, these uh, the, the the modest means of education, there there was there was something at the back of always at the back of my mind that all these people, my own children. Who have gone? I mean, I have a youngest daughter. She went to Cornell uh, for undergrad. Um, my son went to to LSE, uh, then Harvard, uh, and then I, my oldest one. She went to Saint Mary in England, and all that stuff. There was always a, something in me that you know what the hell? Why can't I be yeah. into these schools? Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. was the biggest motivation. Not that I wanted to prove something. Not that I became a judge, Philip. Yeah. And before, from a, a education of a third world country, 
obviously, I, I mean, I went to law school here. I did everything. I did the bar exam and all that stuff. But I would have an attorney who had gone to Harvard Law, Yale undergrad. and that. So you can imagine, you know, the, 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 the gravitas these people bring. Uh, yeah, and yeah. You are on this side. So I always wanted to be getting more and more and more. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it sounds like a combination of things. It's, it's like an intuition that maybe one day it's useful. It's also a thirst for knowledge. Yes. And then it's like, and then it's even more than that. It's like, I, I want the best there is in the world because exactly. why not? <laughs> exactly. But exactly. When you have this available to you, I mean, yeah, yeah. I could honestly, my, my, my colleagues at the bench, when the judges, you know, many, many of my colleagues, they were somehow, because nobody has done that. Nobody, a sitting mm, judge, yeah. it was a big problem to get a permission. And I said, okay, give me provisional permission. If I'm not pulling my weight, if I'm not writing my decision, if I'm not writing my, my, my cases, I'm not listening to the cases. Three months, just give me three months, and I will stop. So there was a, there's a lot of conven- convincing. Yeah. yeah, this this is interesting. You you share like, to convince your family took a year. That's oh, like but my hard. wife and my children. Honestly, they said, "Dad, why do you need to?" And actually, when I started doing it, my children said, "We want to see your grades because you've been so hard on us <laughs> That's all funny. our lives." <laughs> That's funny. You were never. There was. There was I'd like, I'd like, uh, I'd like to go back a bit in yeah, time please, to this uh, period of of your life, which sounds like it was extremely, um, probably the hardest um, nine or so months of your life. This moment when you were um, de- deployed close to the the Iranian border and came across some some smugglers, and then they attacked you. Um, and you were you were you were you were you were vastly outnumbered, and and and, uh, and it, co- it caused loss of life and heavy injury on your side, which then um, t- took you took you out of action for for a very long time. I- I'd love if you could share a bit what, what was going through your your mind at that time. And I mean, you came, you came very close to to death, obviously, and you saw death uh, among your peers. How did that transform you, and what, what what happened through that through that period? I'd love if if, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, sure, of course. Of course. Um, I think I alluded to that in a very passing way. So uh, it was on the Iranian-Pakistani border where I was. My my company was deployed, and there used to be a lot of smuggling of arms and ammunition from Iran into Pakistan. Mm, yeah. So this was an encounter. And as you described reading from my story, that I lost two of my soldiers. I lost, uh, you know, uh, almost lost my life. Uh, mm-hmm. they, and they, they wanted to amputate my arm, you know, the, yeah. the, because of this, this uh, injury was so bad. My wife, they couldn't find my wife to consent. So I went through a lot of, trauma uh, during that six, seven months period of time. And that was also a reflection on me, uh, Mm. to be honest with you. That's where that law, which I did in the 80s, 
came handy to get into the United States that, yeah. you know, that I want to go and study abroad. When I made that request on the hospital bed, yeah. uh, people said, maybe, he, you know, the injury has really hurt me <laughs> emotionally and psychologically. Uh, it was extremely difficult. My wife almost, uh, you know, uh, for months she was going, she was very traumatized by seeing yeah. me. Uh, but she had a strength also because we had three small children. Our youngest one, baby, was uh, in our arms. That misery started me thinking in the hospital, what I'm going to do now? My career is over. Yeah. What, what is my future now? I would say it was very, very traumatizing period, but it turned out to be a blessing. It sounds like the, the, the unsung hero, uh, but, you, but you talk about her a lot as well, is your, is your wife. I mean, oh, to, to go through that period I with you. I could never, ever be. Trust in you, oh, support you. You know, honestly. Look after the kids oh, and then agree to, to, to because I guess you must have convinced her as well to, 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 to get out of Pakistan and follow you to the US. I mean, my, that's like any, not, a, not an easy decision. My wife, Philippe, she's obviously, honestly, not listening. I am what I am because of her. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, 45 years is a very long, we were very young. I met her in the, I was a very brand new lieutenant in 1976. Uh, when I met her, she, is also, she was also serving in the army. She was a registered mm -hmm. nurse and uh, she was a lieutenant. I was a lieutenant. That's how we met. And we married in 1978, two years after. We were little kids. And now, after traveling these 45 years, or whatever the time frame is, we've been in America for almost 35 years. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have a loving, supporting partner, you can't, you can't do these, these things by yourself. <laughs> And, and, and can you maybe share how is it like when you moved to the U.S.? Because you, you, you'd, uh, I mean, that 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 is that must have been quite a quite a shock getting used to completely new uh, way of life, uh, new culture. Uh, just it's also, I mean, the, yeah. The, share share what was your first impression and, and maybe some of the the, the challenges of, of that of that transition. So we were uh, both of us uh, we thirty five year old. You know, both my wife and myself. Uh, we went, we, I was a major, you know, with a wounded arm. I still have a bandit. Mm. When we landed, I was holding my baby in my arm when we landed at JFK. Uh, and we end up going to Austin, uh, where I, I knew an officer from my unit. Uh, and he was very helpful for me to get, uh, you know, admission to the law school, you know, processing. Mm -hmm. uh, America is, uh, is a, Coming from Pakistan, uh, a third world country, but still within that third world country, you are in a different status of society. You're a major, yeah. you know, you have servant, you have people drive you here and there, and you know, you, you're kind of treated 
uh, you know, sort of a royalty, so to speak, because army yeah. army has a, so much monopoly over. <laughs> now I reflect it very differently on the poor country's resources. So it was a, it was a absolute shock to when we ended up in Austin, Texas. Um, you know, uh, you you have to do everything yourself. Um, you 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 speak English, but you have a very kind of a pronounced accent, which I still yeah. have it. I try to refine it as much as I can. So, and then the education is so rigorous. I mean, law school is extremely mm-hmm. rigorous, um, and especially LLM. That you yes, do. and it's a. The the going to the first class, listening to the professor, I would never, ever forget that. After the class, I went to Professor Saklo, who was kind of, you know, of my age. And he said, can I help you, sir? And I said, I am Nawazwala, and I'm one of your students. He said, what? I said, yes, I was sitting at the back. I'm from Pakistan, and I'm your student, Professor Saklo. He's, you know, kind of waved towards, you know, as a hand, and he walked. He wanted me to walk to his office, so I walked to uh, with him to the office. He wanted to learn my story, and he said, "I'm only thirty-six years. We are of the same age. You have a different experience of life, and I have a different experience of life." Mm. And I said, "I am absolutely lost. What you taught." Today I have no idea, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Nothing to worry, uh, Major." I mean, I said, "Please call me Nawaz." The Major is left in Pakistan, seven thousand <laughs> miles away. So, uh, so then slowly, it was a big challenge to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Then slowly and gradually, then my persistence, uh, my persistence, because every time. My wife every now and then reminded me, honey, we are paying for this education. We meaning I funded my own education. Nobody paid mm-hmm. for this. And I, I had all the desires to go back to Pakistan and become a barrister, you know, practice a law in Pakistan and all that stuff. Uh, but it was very, to answer your question precisely, it was. Uh, very daunting experience in the very beginning of six months. And honestly, yeah. then I started loving it. I started loving the, the policies behind the law. I started, mm, I started peeling why the Americans are doing this. Yeah. In my own way, I'm walking, you know, I read a case and I'm walking. I said, why did this happen? I would go home yeah. and I, I would talk to Amy. My wife's nickname. I would talk to her. Uh, my children were little. I would talk to them, and then I would talk to my captain. You know, who was my unit officer. So it became a fascination for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started loving it, and I still, honestly, yeah. I love law every single day. Listen to you. It sounds like it, it was definitely a, a very tough first few months. But then you you, you described you started really getting. Uh, under the law and and having this fascination for the way the the system was designed, and 
as you near the end of the the LLM, I, I guess you you must have made the decision to stay in the U.S. rather than go back to. Pakistan I actually did as go a back. Prestigious, yeah. Oh, you did, I go, did back. go back because I did go back. Uh, my wife was offered a job by then, but mm, I did yeah. go back. I told the army, you know, that hey, if you want me, I'm here. I have this degree from the United States. I'm willing to 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 serve. Uh, uh, I left my my wife and my three children behind. Uh, I went for some period of time, uh, but you know there was no concrete outcome. Then I came back. I yeah. joined back my yeah. family in Austin, and then I took the bar exam. You know, I I, I studied more because I uh, there was a thirstiness because you know yeah. my, my yeah. children went to law school. I, I saw, because the process of becoming attorneys here was my process. I was thrown from outside into yeah. the system. <laughs> but they are part of the system. They grow up here, the basic educations. And yeah. uh, so I have to, uh, you know, make up for that throwing up into the system at my own. Yeah. I, I, I self-taught myself. Yeah. And, and so you, you came back to the U.S. and then... I came back to the U.S. and then I was given a scholarship. There was a vacancy and, I, you know, I made friends at the last school. There was a scholarship to the International Court of Justice for, mm. for one period, one semester, summer session. I went there uh, to mm-hmm. do the International Court of Justice Fellowship at Hague. International oh, yeah, Academy in the Netherlands, yeah. And then I came back, and then I did another degree, uh, which is called oh, okay. uh, LLM. Obviously, the, the first yeah, one was yeah. Master in Comparative Jurisprudence, and then I took yeah. the bar. And then I, by now, I, you know, I realize I, I'm not the ordinary part of this. You know, as my children and other students, you know, they go to law school, they work for law firms. Uh, I was not going to be suitable uh, for that track, even if I mm, tried. Yeah. So the best wisdom and the best instinct and the best advice I got was go open your own practice. That, that's really fascinating because it, it meant that you were, you were drawn to, so you, you, something must have pulled you from a, from a sense of mission or something like this to, to this internship in the in the Hague, I guess. Um, what, what, what was that actually? Was was it about? Um, yeah, c- can you share what drew, drew you? Because that, you, you? You you probably left your family behind for that. Of course, it was well. only for the summer. By then, my wife yeah. was working as a full time nurse in the uh, uh, UT Austin. There was a hospital there, Saint David. She was mm. the source of earning. And my, obviously, my children were back in Austin, Texas. You know, uh, you have built a kind of a network, you know, where you feel comfortable to to go uh, Netherlands, which is only for 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 a summer to attend a course. I I left my wife uh, for a certain period of time to go back to Pakistan to offer mm-hmm. my services. But I by then I was comfortable that my wife has got it. She can manage it. Yeah. She can handle it. Yeah. Uh, so, so with that thing in, in mind, the internship at the International Court of Justice was working with the justices, you know, they're, they're judges yeah. from all over the world, seeing the, 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 the uh, actually international law 
bit the disputes between the states and you know closely watching the law yeah. from being implemented and being executed that was one thing yeah. and also yeah. i was very fortunate that i associated myself with one of the practicing attorney before while i was preparing for the bar exam to watch his trials to see how oh, was yeah. so it was i was not being paid but i was trying to acquire the skills philip at my own you know right. you can't practice law just if you don't have those skills you know the yeah, client yeah. walks into you to your office you have to have the knowledge to represent that client so i acquired that without getting a payment from an attorney from an practicing attorney by volunteering you know yeah, watching wow. him to do what he was doing and you know offer him what can i do to help you see whatever it is so it was a kind of unpaid internship yeah. with that guy who taught me the ropes but then then you have your own instincts you have your own conviction you have your own confidence yes i can do it and the more you do it the better you get at it what what i find fascinating as well is you 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 felt prompted to start your own practice because nobody would hire me flee <laughs> 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 but, but that that's this uh, yeah no. <laughs> but but the fo- the focus of your practice was also um you were focusing on 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 um uh, immigration family, and pro bono. yeah immigration fa- family law you know pro bono 30% of our work was now you know when you are thirsty philip you are hungry you want to learn you want to have cases right and you're competing with very established attorneys who are charging yeah. a huge amount of money so you are a, a kid and a new kid on the block who's going to hire you so you have to the two things doing pro bono work you giving back to the community yeah plus you have a client and that client is giving you a platform to stand your honor attorney so and so before may please is the court to representing so and so he's providing the platform to learn those skills yeah yeah and he, the people see you the public see you and there are people who are absolutely devastated they have nothing they're yeah. immigrants they have a zero dollar to pay you and you know what there was times i would say ma'am don't worry about it just don't say a word please go to my office and i have a small office you know we'll take care of you now it i'm not honest to god i'm not asking for any praise or anything or any yeah. any any laudatory thing it was a calling philip mm. and what what drew you to that specific part of practice in terms of looking after vulnerable people refugees uh children you represented children as well what what yeah what drew you to that because i think the 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 biggest calling was the people who are nobody is listening to them right nobody is there to support them and the only person standing in front of them 
and the government is you. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not there, uh, everybody, no matter whosoever he or she is, no matter how incorrigible people are, they have to have a day in a court. And honestly, I knew that, you know, I have that passion that if I can be of assistance, money will come. And I, by then, my wife was earning, my children were young, they were not. But why did I go to immigration? I think it was the most needed field at that time. It still is. And, yeah. and, and immigration is a very, very tough area of law. And from there, I can tell you a true story. There was a gentleman who was immigrant. His case was being assigned to... Uh, I took that case. He was being deported. And we were fortunate enough to have him a status. The same gentleman, after 10 years, call us. I mean, my, my son worked with me for a little bit when he was in law school. My, 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 my older daughter, she works with us in a law school when she was in law school. And we have forgotten that we did this case. That gentleman, he became a businessman. He bought a business for $10 million. And he wanted us to be his attorney. <laughs> the point I make there, you build a trust. You change somebody's life. That immigrant, who's so productive within a decade he's buying a business of 10 million and he still wants you and i i, yeah. I called him i said sir i am so flattered but i don't do that practice he said no <laughs> you have to find somebody whosoever but you are the one who are going <laughs> this is incredible <laughs> so, so the point i was not looking for money i was not but then, uh, you know, from that case, the, a fee for 10 million, whatever the attorney fee was, we divided with that. It's not, honestly, if the money is meant for you, if your intentions are to help people, if your intentions are pure, God knows that. He finds a ways for you to be compensated. If we have that trust, if we have that faith, which is unfortunately nowadays what I see in the legal profession are moreover the greed, the, the no. cadence has been so much unspeakable. And, and it clearly sounds like in the beginning of a career, you really had to fight the odds in terms of uh, creating a, a space for yourself, um, getting cases, and, and then you, you, you accumulated ex expertise also by, by really helping people in need and, and really not focusing on, on the financial aspect. And at, at some point, this work must have uh, be, been recognized. You, you must have been um, visible uh, as... Um, somebody who was doing good in the community, but also uh, a, a very inspiring story as an immigrant yourself who then helped other immigrants. Um, can you share a little bit what that turning point was? And, and obviously, um, after uh, some time, uh, you, you, uh, uh, you, were, you, you were visible for, by, by the state governor as well, who, who, who appointed you as a judge. I'd love if you could share a little bit how that... Uh, yeah, how you, in a way, 
became almost co-opted at some point uh, as uh, as as uh, yeah the, the 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 American dream that we talked about when we started this conversation. Uh, I think, to be honest with you, I, I never looked for a recognition. I never aspire to be recognized. But I think if you, I very strongly believe this is my conviction. If you do the right thing, regardless whether somebody recognizes you or not, God is always looking, and He will. He that power will recognize. But you have to be sincere, absolutely yeah, yeah. sincere, without watching or being watched. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I. There was, you know, the bar. I, I, I volunteered whatever I could for bono work. Um, I was very humble. I'm still very humble. Uh, I, I was recognized uh, as a award winner of Heritage Immigration Award. My senator, uh, both of the senator, they were very kind. They gave me the, the accolades. Uh, how did it happen? I think people were watching, you know, people want yeah, to yeah. work and the word yeah. gets around. That's why I teach my students now that your credibility, your reputation yeah, yeah. is going to be staying with you. Yeah. The, if you do the right thing, sometimes it's very hard to know what the right thing is, but you strive to do the right thing. Yeah. It will be acknowledged. But honestly, we shouldn't be doing the right thing to be acknowledged. To be, yeah, yeah, got it. I understand. Yeah, we shouldn't be doing the right thing that, yes, we should be acknowledged. No, we should be doing the right thing because that's the right thing to do. <laughs> and that is yeah. what we need to inculcate to young, to our loved ones, that no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, you call it as it is with the complete candor and honesty and character. If you have that conviction, you will not probably will be liked you know, by many people at the moment. But those people, you shouldn't be concerned who are not liking you because you are Seeing and doing the right thing. There's so much to to so much wisdom behind the, the, these statements, and it's also uh, a wisdom that's based on so much life experience. Yeah. I'm I'm really 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 grateful that you're sharing that. I'm very grateful for, uh, to you for this opportunity, and honestly, I don't I don't find that I'm worthy of. Uh, you know, yeah. no, th thank you, thank you so much. Namaz. I've I've really I've really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, and. Um, it's really, to me, I, I really wanted to do justice to your story and get a little bit behind the 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 elements that, like the archetype or the the, the part that epitomizes the American dream, and then people don't dive deep in, into the, the, the hardship that actually re it required to get to it. So I'm really glad that we, we we had some time to 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 explore that. Thanks for listening. Please follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to be the first to know when new episodes come out.